I have noticed something since the U.S. election about Mission Dharma that it at least, and I don't know, I, should, I can't make absolute attributions, but I've noticed that we've been a little bit less attended. Uh, of course, that doesn't include all of you. And really appreciate that you've chosen to sit in the middle of whatever your experience is, but everyone chooses different ways to deal with their lives, and of course, circumstances of life present many other things that are pulling at our attention. But I actually think it's always been a road less traveled to when perhaps disturbed or in a place of uncertainty or any number of other strong feelings, the tendency is to, to um, distract, to, as I sometimes remind everyone of the worldly instructions for dealing with your life, Someone, if you were to come in here and you hadn't known what the operating instructions of the world are, they'd say, shop till you drop, distract yourself any way you can, get completely lost in your imagination, hold on very tight and try to control things. And every time I've done that, there's been a, a, a mild chuckle in the room but this is really what we're taught from, from day one. And so that is, for many of us, and even if we choose otherwise, that the default is to, is to check out. And so the, those who check in, uh, check into what is a, what's sometimes called an open secret, that there is a capacity within us to accommodate our experience and transform it into uh, a greater sense of well-being and peace, even the experiences that seem so hard to bear. So I thought that I would just name a few experiences that you might be having in these days since the U.S. election or any other thing that may be either related or unrelated to the U.S. election, because this time of year, the holiday season, I already was uh, reminded today of, of, of someone dealing with their family demands for them to show up a certain way and how, how much that produces reactivity. I've been told today about uh, and I think I attribute this a little bit more exaggeratedly to this season and to the election. Constant, and both from a, from a woman who was divorced and a man who was divorced. Angry texts back and forth. And, uh, and how to deal with that. How to sit in the middle of that. How to find balance and equanimity with that. And others have been just experiencing a lot of sleeplessness and uh, restlessness and a whole range of things. But I just thought that I would create a, just to bring it into the room, because it's, we, we're not actually, if you go on TV, they're not going to say, uh, you may be feeling afraid right now. And it's really okay to feel afraid 
We are not honored here for feeling, I mean, it's really okay to feel afraid. We're not honored for feeling afraid, for being, for expressing our fundamental, profound human vulnerability. And especially at times where we feel as though the, the world is in such a state of uncertainty. It's always been in a state of uncertainty, but it seems dramatic right now for many, maybe more of the same for others. But nevertheless, whether it's more of the same or others, fear is a part of our experience. Our fear body gets activated very easily. We still have very active amygdala in our brain that goes on to high alert with the least sign of what could threaten our physical, our emotional, our livelihood, and so many dimensions that, that naturally produce fear. So whatever measure of fear you may be experiencing, let's bring it into the room and just tell ourselves, or not tell ourselves, but open, make a little space for it, just as you do in your meditation practice. Make space for what's there. And in this case, just invite the feeling of being afraid. And let's give it a voice inside of our, inside of our minds, inside of our bodies. And just let that percolate a little bit. Because this is part of our experience right now. And we meet this with our kind attention. I brought around a Thich Nhat Hanh passage tonight. Hold a dukkha. Dukkha is the things that are difficult to bear. Hold dukkha like a crying baby until you love it and it quiets down. So you just hold it like you love it. This is fear that you may be experiencing in your life. It's likely that you feel, if I'm hesitant to go beyond the fear, but since this is a, a Dharma talk, this will just be a little sample. Also, it's highly likely that somewhere in the span of these days, I've certainly been feeling this, and in the span of the, this time of year as the light changes and we're reminded of the repetition of the cycles of life, uh, and when we're, we look at the potential, I have to say it out loud, the potential for, for a wholesale assault on our environment, I think of my daughter, and I feel incredibly sad, incredibly sad about uh, the world that we are leaving, potentially leaving for our children. My, you know, in this case, my children, but I think of all children, all beings. Even though our, you know, most of us will be part of that group that gets replaced, all seven billion of us get replaced every hundred years, but we leave, it's not like we just disappear, we, we leave a trail of, of what we have practiced here. And when I think about what I'm leaving, what we're leaving our kids, it's really sad in moments. And I felt a lot of heartache around that. And other losses that just are part of our human experience. So let in the sadness for a few moments. This is, and we sit alongside that with our kind attention, our loving kindness. 
and sad for the vulnerability that, that so many people are feeling right now. But that kind of leads to the next one. It seems like many of us are feeling furious, angry. And, and it's important that we feel that fury. I've, I've been feeling this sense of, I think I've reported it a few times here on Tuesday, but besides afraid in moments and sad, I've been feeling ferocious, like so much passion and so f furious. Not, I don't, I, don't, I don't mean hating, even though I have had a few homicidal thoughts. Sorry, it's true. They come unbidden. But I've less than hate or mean, it's been just a kind of fury at, at, um, at the, you know, whatever I perceive is, is not right. And I don't want to get into the details tonight. But if you can relate at all to feeling angry and passionate right now, feel it. Feel it. That's, it's human. It's natural. It's not outside of our practice. In fact, it is our practice at being human. So that that, so that, that hatred not felt doesn't turn into revenge, or I mean that anger not felt doesn't turn into hatred or revenge, but rather it, it gets, turns into strength. Anger that is accommodated, that's metabolized, turns into strength, presence, courage, and, like I said, passion. We're not meant to just be these kind of mealy-minded Buddhists. We're meant to be on fire with life, in touch with that inexhaustible sense that we're plugged into something that's, um, that's moving inside of each of us. You know, the, you look at the Buddha, the Buddha was fierce. The Buddha was on fire. Spent 45 years kind of inexhaustibly um, just shouting from the hilltops, wake up, wake up. Wake up. You know that story I tell every week, but I won't, I won't tell it again. Okay, just for people who haven't heard it. <laughs> so, so much for my anger. See, I couldn't sit with it long enough. I had to shift right into humor. But uh, I thought of, the, of the, an Anthony DeMello story where he, he describes a, a father um, knocking on his son's door and says, Jaime, says, it was seen on Spanish television. Jaime, wake up, get up you got to go to school. And he kind of rolls over. He says, Jaime, wake up, wake up. you got to go to school. And Jaime wakes up and says, I don't want to go to school. And his father says, why? He says, I hate school. It's so dull. And the kids tease me. And his father says, well, you've given me three reasons why you don't want to go to school. I'll give you three reasons why you have to go to school. It's your duty. That's one. Two, you're 45 years old. And three, you're the headmaster. 
Wake up. Wake up. So we are, we are the headmaster. And uh, that comes with a lot of fire. It's one of the elements of nature that lives inside of you and lives inside of me. We have the water of our tears. We have the fire of our nature. We have, we have the, that tension, the tightness, uh, the rock of our fear. And maybe someone also reported this this evening, you've been experiencing groundlessness, not knowing, what do I do? Helplessness, the sense of not, not knowing how to navigate, either associated with this election and the aftermath or whatever may be occurring in your life. This is part of our experience. And we, we let ourselves feel it. We let all the feelings, as Hafez say, cut more deeply. And we let them ferment and season us. As he says, as few human or even divine ingredients can. So that, as he puts it, our eyes are so soft and our voice so tender. Our need of, of spirit, of life, of the divine or Buddha nature, absolutely clear. So we feel fearful, we feel sad, we feel angry, and we feel uh, helpless at times. And then, right in the middle of it, periodically, as we sit with each of those feelings, we begin to get a glimpse, and this is what the Buddha reminded us, we get a glimpse of what's untouched by what is happening. That there is within us this unconditional knowing, intelligence, expressing itself sometimes as love and mercy and compassion, sometimes as just joining with, with as balance, as as, yes, this too. Whether I understand things or not, things are as they are. And we, it expresses itself sometimes as just this bliss of joy. But nevertheless, our, the, you could talk about it as the, the, the awareness through which you're perceiving, untouched by what visits. So the Buddha, the wakefulness, always there. And we learn to rely on it because if there's something central to the Buddha, he, he was called, as most of you know, he was called Sukhiya, or the happy one. And of course, some people hear happy this time of year, merry, and they say, okay, you want suicidal? Start saying the word happiness. I mean, it just drives people crazy. So it's really not all often the best word to describe what this, the happiness of a Buddha is. It, it really is much more, as he described it, the highest happiness is peace, balance, contentment, 
the capacity to sit in the middle of our life and, and be with the joys and the sorrows and know that, we, that something in us remains unshaken, at peace, well, regardless, because we meet our life with the understanding that whatever the conditions that happen to arise in your life, they pass away. So Buddha, the, the Buddha made a very clear distinction between a well-being and um, a sense of freedom that depends on things being the way you want them to be in this world. And he said, that's really a, an absolute recipe for misery, besides having an untrained mind. One thing most conducive to misery is not having your attention uh, in the same location as your experience, having an untrained mind. But a, a second kind of misery is ignorance, is the confusion, expecting something that is changing to give you lasting satisfaction, something that is impersonal to when you take it personally, and something that is fundamentally unreliable as a source of happiness and peace and freedom is taken to be, the, is mistakenly taken to be the cause of my happiness. And if you look to our world, doesn't, there's nothing, there's no condition ever in the history of the world that has been continuous except change. And there's no political system, there's no, there's no body, body that stays static, there's no mind that stays static, there's no emotions that stay static, that if one wants to have, use that word balance and happiness, it has to be based on something that, that is much more reliable than the changing conditions of our, of our heart, mind, or body. Our world, our politics, our politicians, our bank account, our health, our life itself. And so it's ignorance that makes us look for that well-being or look for love in all the wrong places, the places where we can't find, where it's not lasting. That's why my teacher in India used to say, metaphorically, marry the one who won't divorce you. And <laughs> that one always stops me. <laughs> so again, the, the Buddha contrasted what he called lokiya sukha, comfort, well-being that, that depends on, the, on conditions. It depends on having our hunger and our thirst and our desires be satisfied the way we want things to turn out. And, and that that's a part of, that's the kind of pleasure that we can have in our life, but it has a, fun, a few defects to it. It has its pleasures, no doubt. When, when you win, when you have a success, when you have a gain, it has its pleasures, but it also the defect is that it, um, the pleasure is short-lived, 
It leaves in its wake desire for more, so it increases a feeling that, that this moment isn't enough. As long as our mind's in a state of wanting things to be other than the way they are, we're in a, often in a state of tension, suspended happiness. So the, so the recipe, of course, the prescription is learn to see clearly that there's nothing whatsoever that can be clung to as my as me, as mine, the way I want it to be. And the Buddha suggested if you could, if you could um, hear this, you've heard it all. If you could practice this, this freedom through non-clinging to changing conditions, you have practiced everything. If you could realize the fruit of that, that, that mind that just doesn't grab, that, that that meets fear, that meets anger, that meets pleasure, that meets pain, that meets everything, that sits alongside it with awareness, but does not identify with it, does not cling to it, does not say, this is how it has to be for me. Uh, that if a person could sit alongside of themselves with kindness, but a heart that lets go, then it's possible, even in these times, to feel free. And the, the good news about our practice that every moment of being with ourselves is that moment of, of opening the tight fist of grasping. Because mindfulness, attention, kindness do not coexist with grasping. You can't, you can't really do it in the same moment. You can't react in the same moment as you are openly attentive to what's happening. So we just try to encourage that, especially right now. So it may be a, it may be a road less traveled to, to encourage opening that tight fist with our sadness and just feel sad. Or our fierce, ferocious, mama bear, papa bear desire to be a benefit and, and be unwilling to let anyone who is being targeted, harmed, has less privilege, less opportunity, less safety. And we should let ourselves feel that, let it move, let it pump through our veins. Same with our helplessness and our hopelessness, our groundlessness, and same with our fear. Because all of them uh, are part of our what makes us human. And they all get used as, as the manure of our awakening. So in other words, everything you're experiencing right now is the right experience, not the wrong one. I had so many people just in the last few days well, tell me that they were just judging themselves about how they're handling things, as though there's a way you're supposed to do it. And, and you, it's so easy with Dharma teachings to become excessively idealistic and somehow think that you should, you know, if I say be mindful moment to moment, 
that you should literally be able to be mindful moment to moment. When the starting point, as all the studies go, is 50 frickin' percent of the time we are daydreaming. So how many, how many moments of mindfulness can we actually hope to have? 45% daydreaming? 40% daydreaming? 20%? We will continue to daydream but those moments that we wake up to where we are and the encouragement of that light against our being, we'll feel the benefits and we will feel less stressed. I read another beautiful description of the, a different description of the heart. I'll see if I can find it. This is from Ajahn Suchito. Since the heart is not just a metaphor for emotion and intuitions, the physical heart is an organ of perception that emits electromagnetic impulses that check out what's happening in the continual neurological dialogue with the brain. So where we, where we tune in to a still body or rhythm of breathing, the message we receive is that things are fine and the brain quiets down. This is the often overlooked function of the heart. It is a major contributor to direct experiences rather than figured out, learned, or abstract knowledge. So there's a, I don't know why I read this, but I liked it. I, I forgot what the theme was, but sitting in the middle of it all. So nothing creates more space for the human, our humanity, more than, than uh, sitting beside ourselves, not just with that attention, that perception of, of knowing, but uh, that perception mixed with um, kindness. Kindness is everything. And the only other thing that I want to add for tonight is, uh, is making an attempt to the best of my ability to um, keep uh, everyone in my heart and in my caring, including the millions upon millions of people who voted for Donald Trump and keep after, uh, this is my feeling now, keep after everyone to at least remember our kids, remember our earth, remember those who are, who are targeted, who are less privileged. Remember your privilege, all those things. Don't forget. If you're white, you can easily forget. Don't forget. And if you're, you know, just whoever you are, keep everybody honest. Don't go to sleep. That's all I have to say, but uh, we're all human. So enjoy your humanity. Don't judge it. So let's sit quietly for a minute.
Just to end with the words of George Washington Carver, how far you go in life depends on your being tender with the young, compassionate with the aged, sympathetic with the striving, and tolerant of the weak and the strong, because someday in your life you will have been all of these. May our practice today and every day be dedicated to the welfare and benefit of all of, all of us and all parts of ourselves. May all beings be liberated. May all beings sit beside themselves with love, compassion, and equanimity, balance, able to meet the joys and the sorrows, the inevitable joys and sorrows with less reactivity. May all beings be free. Thanks for sticking it out. Thanks for sitting with me, sitting with yourselves, and hope to see you next week. And if I don't, see you next year. Anyway, just to give you a little heads up, did we find somebody for the 27th too? Not yet. Not yet? Okay. So, anyway, if anyone is interested in a, a book, I will have them this week and next week uh, for end of the year gifts or any purpose that you might have for it. Anyway, thank you. And thanks for your generosity tonight. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.